Hi, I'm Dave, board member of Wichita Falls Crime Stoppers. And I'm Caitlin, also a board member for Crime Stoppers. And welcome to the very first episode of Falls Fugitive. For this very first episode, we are covering an infamous case here in Wichita Falls. The case of Gregory Keith Mann Jr., who has been missing for a staggering 22 years. We chose this case to highlight because May 11th of this year was the 22nd anniversary of Keith Mann Jr.'s disappearance. You know, Caitlin, I had the honor to sit down with Keith Mann's parents and go over everything that they have been through for the past 22 years. Now, we'll play some audio clips of their interview throughout this podcast. On this case, we have many more questions than we do answers. But what we do have are pleas from the parents and family members and the community asking anyone with information on their son's disappearance to come forward. Okay, let's get started. Crime Stoppers of Wichita Falls, in association with Design Works Group, presents Falls Fugitive. What what answers are you looking for? Looking for my son to find him, and then I'm looking if something happened to him, which I believe it possibly has to find out who's responsible for that. On Saturday, May 10th, 1997, 20-year-old Gregory Keith Mann was last seen here in Wichita Falls, Texas. Keith had worked a 12-hour day at Ron Roberts Ford where he was a car salesman. At the end of a long work day, he and a couple friends decided to go out that evening. Keith would often drive demo cars home from the dealership, and this day was no different. While they were hanging out, Keith mentioned that he had a meeting with someone at 12.15 a.m. According to his friends, they dropped him off at his apartment around 11.45 p.m. His family was told that they watched him walk up the stairs toward his apartment. That was the last time anyone claims to have seen him. Whether that meeting happened or who it was with remains a mystery, and that's where the facts seem to end. They had just gotten engaged, like in March, middle of March, so not even quite two months yet. So yeah, I have a habit of saying girlfriend, but yes, they were technically engaged at the time. Um, she was in the process of moving into the apartment from her college dorm. She every weekend she would bring her belongings. Um, they would, you know, they were buying furniture, putting up decorations and things, and then the day. The 11th is the day she was to move in permanently, which that is the day that he comes up missing. Keith had gotten engaged the middle of March 1997, and his fiance had been moving her things from her dorm room to Keith's apartment each weekend. On May 11th, she had her final trip to unload the rest of her things When she got there, Keith wasn't anywhere to be seen, nor could she get in touch with him. You know, she tried to contact his parents to see if they had heard from him. He always let us know when he was leaving. We never did not know one time, except when he came up missing, that that something like this would happen, you know. Um, he didn't have any money the night 
He was with these people, um, left all his clothes. He had paychecks coming to him Monday morning. He liked his job. On that same day, the demo car that Keith was driving was spotted in a parking lot not far from his parents' home. Keith's disappearance is a baffling mystery with no obvious suspects to point to. And according to his parents, Keith had no known enemies and nothing to be running from. Every day I get up and spend most of my day thinking about him and where he's at, said Greg Manns. Greg Mann further told me his son loved to play baseball. He had received a baseball scholarship and could always be found at the baseball softball complex. He was an easygoing, quiet young man that kept to himself. He didn't want any problems and didn't cause any problems. So, what happened to Keith Mann? What have the police learned over the last 22 years with the investigations and interviews? While there have been no new leads prior to the airing of this podcast, they've decided to dedicate themselves to find answers. The Mads are still not giving up hope. Keith's father tells me they're appreciative of Wichita Falls Police Department Detective John Laughlin for giving Keith's case a fresh look. As police work to uncover new leads, the family continues to do research on their own. No, we're not going to ever give up. I'm not, as long as I'm alive. Um, anything that comes up or we hear anything like that, I, we try to check it out. I sat down with John Laughlin, the cold case detective on the Keith Mann case, to discuss the work he's done on the case and the status of the investigation. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's jump right into it. What exactly does a cold case detective do? So a cold case investigator's job is to take cases that have already been worked on and with a fresh approach, with a new look, with um, finding any leads that have not been followed through on. Um, Most, if not all cases, the original investigators worked hard on their case and just because it went unsolved doesn't mean they didn't work. But with major crimes, sometimes there's not any physical evidence that's immediately found. It's not until later on when you look at a, a piece of evidence in a different way or technological advances give us the ability to find evidence that we didn't know we had beforehand. And relationships change. Involved persons when a case first occurs, are motivated to not speak to the police or be truthful. However, as time goes on and those relationships change, then person's loyalties change and they may be willing to cooperate with investigators. So a cold case investigator basically takes a case and starts over, makes sure what needed to be done has been done and what those answers are, what they tell us, and then in that process, hopefully find something that's new, a new piece of evidence that might give us the lead that we need to crack the case or to solve it. So when did you take a new look at Keith's case? So um, I started working on the Keith Mann case in the uh, fall of 2018. And at that time, with any cold case, the first step is to organize the file, is to take all the reports that have been generated, whether they be by our department or a lab that's processed a piece of evidence, 
and find out is this organized or disorganized, get it in an organized fashion so that you could read it. Similar to if you had a book that all, all the chapters pulled out of it and rearranged, the story wouldn't make sense. But if you knew where the chapters were and you put them back in order, now it makes better sense to you and you can see the whole picture. So that's what I've done and been doing with the case since I started on it. it. You can imagine 22 years worth of investigations by at least three different agencies. Uh, there's, there's a lot to go through. Yeah. So can you tell us, you know, 22 years, there has had to have been a lot of leads, I would imagine. So can you tell us about some of those leads or about how many y'all have had? Absolutely. Um, so from what I've discovered in, in the records as I've gone through them, that there have been several uh, tips that have come in, several leads that have come in, and the detectives have worked on those, and, and they've conducted over 76 interviews uh, in that 22 years. Unfortunately, to this point, none of those leads have, have been enough information for us to, to find Keith. And so looking at those leads again, maybe from a different angle, or in this case, putting the information out in the form of a podcast and, and maybe new ears hearing the story that know something, will, then those people will say something. Right. What do you think is the most fascinating part about this case? What do you think sets it apart? Well, it, it is, of course, unique in that our agency over the last decade or so, we average about 120 missing persons reports a year. So it's not uncommon for us to get a missing person report. It's not uncommon for us to investigate those cases. Most of the time, people are found within 24 hours to a week. And a lot of those are people that are, if you will, voluntarily missing. They have just decided that they want to go somewhere and be away from their job or friends or associates and it doesn't take us very long to find them. This case is fascinating and unique because it's been so long and there hasn't been any tips or leads that have led us to where he's at. And so we would be naive not to think that something suspicious could have happened to Keith. And so that's what makes it different and unique from the other cases we've worked on. And I know, I mean, they talk about in the story of when he went missing, there was friends involved, there's a fiance involved. Can you tell us why we never hear any names from any of those people and were they talked to and interviewed as well? Of course they were, and, um, and more than once, and by different investigators. Um, just like the conversation we're having right now, if we were to sit down in a day or two, this same subject, but we would have a little bit different conversation. And so you go back and you talk to those people again. What's important for the police department to do is to not misidentify a person or lead the public to believe that someone who's been trying to help and has absolutely no involvement in Keith's disappearance other than knowing Keith or being around Keith when he went missing, we don't want people to think or misunderstand that those persons have done something wrong. I'm not saying they did or they didn't. I'm saying that our job as investigators is to let that data drive the conclusion. What does the evidence tell us? And until we have enough information to say a person is responsible for what happened to Keith, then we don't want to put their name out there and then have the public think, think wrongly or have a, the wrong impression about them. Right. What do you think, like, 
why have there been no concrete leads in this case? So, I mean, why has it been 22 years? Well, I, you know, that's the, that's the million dollar question, right? If, if we knew that exact answer, then of course we would, we would be able to find Keith and get some closure for the family. I think as in a lot of cold cases that there's, there's, there are people out there that do know there's, there's someone out there that knows. Um, From my experience, the more people that know, the greater the likelihood that someone will talk and, 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 and give the police that first piece of information we need to run with and find the rest of the pieces of this puzzle. But if there's only a select few or a smaller number, that's one possibility of why we haven't heard because this person hasn't said something to another. Uh, Other than that, um, it's just really difficult to say. Uh, It could be he could have relocated somewhere in the country and in the in the mid to late 90s, not impossible to kind of re-identify yourself um, by having a fake identification card made and just keeping us running a simple life somewhere where you're you haven't brought any attention to yourself and you've just decided to go somewhere and start over or something bad could have happened to him. And that's why we're looking for the public's help. Anything, no matter how minor a person thinks it might be could be that major piece that we need that'll get us moving in the right direction for sure sir is there anything else about this case that you want to point out to the public i would just say that um i'm really excited about this what we're doing right now this is this is the technological advances that i talked about before this is part of it too it doesn't just have to be DNA or ballistics, it can also be a a social platform to get the story out. The more people that hear the story, the more people that know who Keith is and have heard about Keith, the the greater the likelihood that there's going to be someone that heard something else that they want to share with us. And really, really excited about how Crime Stoppers, the board has stepped up and they've increased the reward for information leading to the location of Keith through DNA com- uh, confirmation. $10,000 is a pretty big motivator if someone knows where Keith is at and they provide that information and we can confirm it through DNA analysis. That's, that's a big incentive, and I'm really, really glad that they're doing that. I'm really excited about it. Awesome. I don't think I have any more questions. Is there anything else you want to say? Just thanks for having me, and and thanks for all that you guys are doing to help us get the word out so that we can help this family have some closure and, and find Keith. In 2012, Keith's sister created a website along with a Facebook page to reach as many people as possible. If you would like to read more about Keith's man's story, you can go to themissingmanproject.com or to The Missing Man Project on Facebook. Please note that the man has two ends. I'm Officer Brian Bond with Wichita Falls Police Department. I am the coordinator for the Wichita Falls Crime Stoppers. We're here today to let everybody know that Crime Stoppers is offering a $10,000 reward leading to the location, the actual location, of Gregory Keith Mann, Jr., now, this will be paid once uh, Mr. Mann is, is found and a positive uh, DNA test is completed and reveals that this is Gregory Keith Mann. 
Now, we're not in any way suggesting that he is deceased in any way. We still have hope that Mr. Mann can be found alive and maybe he's just living in another location. But we want everybody to know that if anybody has information that leads to the actual location of Gregory Keith Mann, Crime Stoppers is offering a $10,000 reward that's without an arrest being made. And that's the first time that we've ever done this. So if you have any information that leads to the actual location of Gregory Keith Mann, please call the Wichita Falls Crime Stoppers at 940-322-9888 or 1-800-322-9888. Help us bring some closure for this family and let's bring uh, Mr. Mann home. And we'd like to thank everybody for their information and anything that can help us out, bring him home. Thank you for joining us on our very first episode of False Fugitive. We want to sincerely thank Greg and Deborah Mann for talking to us about such a painful part of their life. We also want to thank Detective John Laughlin for helping us tell this story and coming in for an interview. Crime Stoppers of Wichita Falls would also really like to thank DesignWorks Group for all of their help in making this podcast possible. Join us next time for another episode of False Fugitive. <laughs>